Hello, and welcome to Enough Wicker, a podcast where we laugh our faces off talking about our favorite television show, The Golden Girls. I'm Lauren. And I'm Sarah. And today we're on the 29th episode in the series, It's a Miserable Life. Uh, yes. Uh, Frida Claxton, one of my faves. This one is really great. Um, <laughs> a fun fact is actually that that actress was 59 years old in real life. <laughs> they made her look like an old lady uh, to play Frida, Frida Claxton. And she was Philomena Bosco. Philomena. Yeah, Philomena. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I mean, I mean, obviously they have some experience doing Estelle Getty's makeup to make uh, ladies who are not that old look older. But I was very impressed when I learned that fun fact. Yeah, and what a range of that actress that she she comes back as a totally different character, which we see a couple times, but yeah. I feel like both of those two, particularly Frida, um, are so recognizable. They're you know, like they're big they're big guests. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like as you as you're fond of saying, even a you know, a novice Golden Girls fan <laughs> will probably know who Frida Claxon was. So what do you think of this one? Are you a fan? Oh yeah, I I love this one. Um I think it's so, first of all, like the caricature of Frida Claxton of a neighbor that, you know, like the kids dress up as, as Halloween <laughs> and is just so crotchety that you would, like, you would have to like rock, paper, scissors to see who would have to go get the ball if it landed on her lawn. You know, like <laughs> right. that is a type of person who lives on every suburban street everywhere. So I think from that point, um, the writers just did such a good job at, obviously she's exaggerated and she's yeah. over the top, but um, that character is, is uh, universal. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting, too, because, like you said, it might be a little overblown, but it actually comes in part of the episode, right, where it's like you think that it's like, oh, maybe it's just a misunderstood neighbor, right? They actually write that into the script. You're like, no, no. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. It's really, she's just, as Sophia puts it, a scum-sucking crank, you know, and just plain <laughs> rotten. Um, but also this episode really covers, it's kind of one of the first appearances of the girls being so proactive in sort of local politics and activism. Yeah, I love, I love the like civic duty aspect of this one. And you're right, it it comes up a lot. Um, but it's them sort of deciding that that's what they're going to do. Like they take it, it's under their own accord that they decide to try to save the tree. And, you know, they're out petitioning and there's some questionable tactics going on from, you know, obviously from Blanche taking three hours (laughs) to get one signature and needing to freshen up to get another. And um, Sophia (laughs) just being so Sophia and getting the signatures of a bunch of dead people, which is hilarious. Yeah, they're Um, all doing it in their own flavor, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's very very appropriate but it's cute to see them all rally behind this one cause and it's a cause that you can um first of all imagine them all believing in but also a cause that would really need this type of involvement because like nobody cares about the tree on Richmond Street you know except for the people who live there so um yeah I I love that I love that part of it obviously and it's you're probably right it probably is the first time we really see them like going down to you know, the courthouse to, to get involved. Yes. We actually see that set, which is amazing. (laughs) And we'll talk a little bit more about sets later too, because, you know, as mentioned, like, woo, second season, big budget, really exciting stuff, you know, like using the, the driveway extensively, you know, in the front of the, um, of the house that they now have as a set piece, we get, you know, big money uh, to get to uh, a courthouse and a funeral home. Yeah, no, you have to, it, it does it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about it in the very beginning, right? So, you know, 
Rose, it's hysterical that there's already sort of the in joke about how St. Olaf stories are already obnoxious, right? Like she <laughs> Indian <laughs> coin. <laughs> <laughs> But I just loved, you know, they start the story in the kitchen and then they all just like hurry off and like, like she wasn't going to follow them into the next room, you know, but it's such a great continuation <laughs> and just like the excitement of um, how it's already like it we transformed into a St. Olaf story because as we mentioned before, there's already been these stories without St. Olaf being named, but now it's already sort of uh, on the viewer to understand that it's just exhausting. <laughs> Yeah, these are these Petticoat Junction people that she <laughs> has a personal relationship with all of them. Um, yeah, I want to talk about Rose in this one because obviously she is, you know, such a, a focal point of this episode. First of yeah. all, this is the third person that she has been involved with their death. <laughs> I would like to point out. I like how you mitigated that, of been involved with her death. Some might say killed. <laughs> yeah, you killed Miss Claxton three days ago. <laughs> It's yeah, it's really interesting. Um, there's definitely a fun um, on enoughlicker.com, by the way, we cited um, a link about how Rose Island is a murderer. Um, so <laughs> this obviously adds to that extensive case. Um, but yeah, even before we get there, though, she's so optimistic, right? As we talked about before, it's like the caricature of this person, the crotchety old lady on the street that she knows she has this super Pollyanna feel to her <laughs> in this episode. Like she can find the good in somebody, right? And it's such a wonderful, wonderful portrayal of the Rose character because, you know, her intensity, as we've talked about before, and we'll definitely talk about again, you know, comes into that competitive nature and the competitive state, but she goes off a cliff. So she's got like this endless patience. This is actually how like my husband Dennis is like endless patience, oh, of, like yeah. a straight line. But then when you hit the end, it just is a precipice, you know, and that's that's kind of how we see Rose behaving here where she's really just really trying, you know, she's using Danish. She's got all of her, you know, pulls out <laughs> all the stops and then she just fucking loses it. Yeah, and it is, it's so um, understandable in a way, because obviously, like, when she finally does snap, it's after she's just been, you know, as we assume, berated, and just, you know, this, this woman, like, took the Danish, and now she's not going to do what she said she did, so, like, right. that's the line, when she, that pruned Danish, man, that's like a... <laughs> Seemed to do the trick. Yeah. Always, always does for me. <laughs> no, um, I mean, and also, Frida Claxton, like, shows up to, she doesn't have to show up to say do what you were saying you know she shows up specifically to be against you know the girls and all of the neighbors that signed the petition obviously so yeah she's a real scum and crank yeah that's what I, like how awful do you have to be to go to court to make sure they tear down a tree like <laughs> yeah. what also i just even backing up from there like a whole hearing just about this tree it's like <laughs> oh man simpler times you know especially <laughs> the menudo like, concert Oh, exactly. Denied? Why is the application denied? That's a, that's a whole other alternate universe episode <laughs> right there. So, um, But yeah, so the, I also love from a, from a civic standpoint, right, in this sort of like the pre-courthouse scene when they're sitting outside when they're talking about the Danish, and it's this whole like greatest country in the world speech, right? It's this whole Americana, oh my gosh, we're on top, we're number one, and I just love that it's cut by like you know, Dorothy's just snide line of like, what do you mean by that? It's like, oh, she slept with two of the commissioners. <laughs> and <laughs> Sophia's doing this whole, you know, bribing people with money is how we thought things done in New York. Oh my gosh, that works in Sicily and New York when Blanche sleeps with people. <laughs> and it's, it is just such a great 
reversal and it plays into this sort of more progressive theme of like all right we 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 don't need this sort of blind patriotism here like this is how things actually work and i just love that they have a nod to that and of course sophia is like a perfect vehicle to make these little comments yeah no i love that too because i feel like this show does this a lot where like you think you know what they're doing and it's (laughs) it is you know it starts as a cliche but they are able to just like kind of punch you in the face with like why that cliche doesn't work all the time. And right, that's, one of these, right. that's one of these examples. Exactly. You're right. And it's, and you know, it's very often obviously like Rose and Blanche who play more of a sort of caricature in these like stereotypical <laughs> archetypes of, you know, the innocent one and, you know, the, the slutty one um, or like the Southern, you know, the Southern uh, genteel attitude and everything that Blanche, you know, brings to it with obviously Dorothy and Sophia grounding it. So it's just, it's real it's such a good scene and honestly and then the you know then Frida Claxton comes in and we get that whole hilarious exchange about the Danish but she even has that line where she goes there's nothing I hate more than someone who thinks every old person that lives alone wants company and a few kind words you know she delivers it so well <laughs> and I'm, she says that and I'm like oh god you're talking to me like right yeah. through the television <laughs> like this is me I really I, I get so torn up about you know elderly people being alone and it's just so funny like she's just like how many times do I have to tell you that like this is my what most people would consider terrible, but this is my life. Yeah. Someone get her a dog. Like that old guy <laughs> whose wife dies and then is completely fine when Rose gives him the dog. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um also wait, speaking of slutty, there's a joke there's you know, like obviously the show is um ripe with like sexual innuendos and, and stuff, but there's one in yeah. this episode that I thought was wild and I never caught it before or maybe I just have and I didn't remember it but um when they're talking about orator <laughs> and like she's like orator means speaker, and they have to mean speak- speaker. <laughs> it's a pretty like in your face blowjob joke which absolutely yeah really pushes the boundaries of even what I feel like we expect from this show totally it's very much yeah like the vibrator and the flu uh, episode <laughs> joke right where you're like oh damn like they went a little further than I would expect yeah that well, got by the censors <laughs> exactly that got by the censors it's also funny because it comes on the heels of um, we're just joking sort of hypothetically, right? That Blanche is sleeping with two of the commissioners. But then we go in there and she's not only has slept with them, but she's like making blowjob references. It's, <laughs> it's great. I, I love it. And then we go, I mean, even just from there too, I thought, I think Rose's speech is amazing. Like again, the fall off the cliff, Betty White thing. And just when she says drop dead and walks away, she's like, go on, Dorothy. You know, like, oh, she's all riled up and everything like that. It is the drop dead part is such a simple joke, but it is so good. Yeah. And and you're right. Like, she does such a good job because I I can't remember what episode this is in, but there's one there's um there's one in the episode where they all are uh in the jail cell where Betty White is going on and on about how the other people will laugh at her because she'll excel at her work in the laundry yeah. and you know it's these like really long tangential sort of outbursts but the she same does thing when them... they're on the desert island yes that's the other one right <laughs> and they're so long and she finishes it kind of out of breath in a way that you really would be if you were speaking that way and it's just really a testament to her talent that she's yeah. able to translate that much like short bursts of emotion that are so true to life yeah, you're right. Especially when she says, sit down and shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, goodness. Uh, so the next part, I think, is really, um, you know, obviously, like, <laughs> like you referenced earlier, you killed Mrs. Claxton two days ago, where, you know, Rose is just <laughs> sulking. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I die every time. Why do people die, Dorothy? And she is so <laughs> exasperated already, and Dorothy just goes, oh, please, Rose, I don't even know why fools fall in love. <laughs> And it's just one of those fun, like, little writer's room jokes that you're just like, man, they must have had that in the the back pocket, you know, as some sort of response that Dorothy would have of just all these amazing puns. But again, as always, B. Arthur just delivers it in this whole exasperated way that makes it all the more funnier, even though it's a funny joke on paper. Yeah. No, and you, they do a good job at sort of, like, translating what has been happening while we haven't seen them. Like, like, we can imagine that off screen. Rose has been terribly annoying about this for days, you know, like it's all she can talk about and like they're all just exhausted by it. Exactly. (laughs) Um, The scene in the kitchen is really nice. It's really funny. There's a lot of crazy weird stuff like Blanche telling the story of faking her own death. What? (laughs) It is funny because I think we've talked about this before, you know, you just sort of like you're on autopilot like when you're watching these things, but then you're, you're really paying attention. You're like, that is actually a psychotic story. <laughs> I also love she talks about her father. She's like, he could be a real peck of wood. You're like, dude, girl, you faked your death. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, <laughs> there are a lot of great highlights to that where she talks about being like a trapped panther. And Dorothy just goes, when I was 16, I had acne and played the accordion in the marching band. <laughs> yeah it's another tallest baby in new york moment yes. <laughs> exactly i had a rash in my head <laughs> yeah there's so many there's so that story by itself is just you know like a real wild ride but there's so many oh, yeah. other like little um twists and turns like there's the miss magnolia pageant um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right which is what set this all off but like so many mentions of like childhood beauty pageants in this show oh absolutely oh my gosh it's funny because like blanche's southern stories if they only had like a label you know it's sort of like you have sophia sicily stories you have roses you know uh saint olaf stories and it's it's not like we call them like blanche's atlanta stories or anything like that but it's kind of interesting that it didn't take the form of its own to be sort of almost its own meme right and i think that's just because like rue mcclanahan it's not just in her stories that she's hyper southern it's everything about her um so it just becomes the character as opposed to like this thing this character does but to your point a lot of her reminiscing stories are insane particularly about her childhood yeah you're right they should they should be just as they're just as outlandish as saint olaf and they're exactly. the people in them i'm sure are frankly worse people in a lot of instances <laughs> that is absolutely certain there's no way like ernest t minky owns slaves and everybody in blanche's story is very suspect absolutely they they even own slaves after it was you know post bellum exactly <laughs> horrible jesus christ um well you know similar on the topic what's everybody talking about ma i can honestly say i have no idea <laughs> again simple simple line but just it's incredibly delivered um but um the whole, I love the scene where Sophia, again, she sort of comes in and just owns it where it's like, we'll pop for her funeral. Like she, it's just like, she comes in talking all business and she's just like, you know, you show respect for human life, no matter how wretched it was, you know, any idiot knows that. Um, and, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> yeah. Same. But it's, it's such a, like another example of her coming in as, you know, 
the matriarch of this group of matriarchs and saying, all right, no, this is what you do. Like, this is how we're going to handle things. It's, you know, it's kind of the same exact, um, you know, way that you, you see her acting when, you know, when Stan um, needs heart surgery and, and she just is like, this is how it is. What's your plan? What are you going to do? And like, she just goes into action here, um, which of course, you know, gets us this really interesting twist that uh, of course, the first time I watched this episode, I was just like, oh, you would do that? I guess so. That's actually a really decent thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if and- you believe in funerals and all that, but you know what I mean? Like right. even if it's a memorial type of thing, but. Yeah, and it's nice. I think that she has to be, um, it has to be from her, you know, because she's like this old world. It's kind right. of a, and that's how she justifies it too, is like, it's a Sicilian custom. It's good luck to bury someone you hate. And Dorothy's like, you feel bad. And yeah. it's, it's, it really works because I'm sure the rest of the girls, obviously Rose is like super guilt stricken, but like the rest of the girls do feel bad, but maybe either they don't feel bad enough to raise this idea or it just doesn't occur to them. So it needs, yeah. you have to have somebody who's like so far removed to suggest this idea. Um, True. And you know, it's funny, like, I think that this episode is, is great, but I always think of, um, I think of Frida Claxton and then I think of the puffuteral bit as like two separate things, you know, and they're both so strong and so good, but um, it's funny to watch this one again, you know, like as a, as a scholar at this point Mm. and be like, wow, they're both in the one episode and they're both two really separate funny scenes, but like the funeral home scene is a classic. It's so good. It's amazing. And it's, I, like I said before, I think, even just like the set kind of blows you away in terms of just what we've seen previously in the show. You know, you're just like, man, like this wasn't, you know, was this from another sitcom that they borrowed? Like maybe what's the deal, but you're right. It actually feels like this whole separate episode. Cause it's just so rich with so many funny lines, but also like you were saying before, this through line of sort of like this moral decency, like whether or not you actually believe that a, you know, God is watching and God needs a funeral and you're supposed to be doing something nice for your fellow man. Um, or crotchety old lady neighbor it's still it's still interesting from even from the topic of closure from the girls themselves right and that's what rose is really looking for rose is like i have to do something to sort of atone for this and it's like yes it's about sort of being decent to your fellow man but it's also about feeling guilt right like ma ma you feel bad like that line like you said dorothy kind of calls her out on it it's like this is a way this is what we do in our society as a way to provide closure for a death so it's a different kind of death because it's somebody you didn't really care about. But, you know, I mean, it's it's just an interesting little scene. So obviously they all decide. And then we meet Mr. Pfeiffer. <laughs> it is. This bit is so brilliant and it's so simple. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, you could read this on the page and you'd be like, eh, I don't know how this is going to land. Like the yeah. funeral, I don't know. But it is so funny from the beginning when they walk in to like when Dorothy says "pa funeral to um, what he says that, you know, the three of you planning ahead for mother, <laughs> there's like a break, you know, cause the audience is laughing and Estelle Getty takes a couple steps toward him, but she's, you know, so calm and, and yeah. still like, so like holding her purse. And she's like, how would you like a punch in your face? And it's <laughs> the choice to take the couple steps adds so much to the delivery of that line. Yes, um, yes. It's hilarious. The whole scene is just like, so many laughs <laughs> it's also uh, i learned from that you know the jim colucci book that we're super uh, big fans of is that b arthur really loved this bit mm. and i think to your point you could see something on 
the page that would be okay but like at table read it would just slay because they're doing <laughs> things like the pausing and the, you know like making these very concerted choices of delivery and again like even like B. Arthur's face when she says funeral, like she just has this like she almost like swallows it like oh god I you know I'm so tired of this already but like you know I this ridiculous name can we just get on with it and <laughs> it's amazing how in one line or even just in one look and we talk about their physical comedy all the time right you can just deliver so much more than what's written down yeah and there's another um this scene is just so funny there's another part um you know we talked a lot about how some dated references really carry through and I think uh in spite of um the fact that Bill Cosby is an awful awful human that when the show was on it was such a cultural phenomenon and so when he suggests Thursday night for the funeral and they're all like oh god no not Thursday I can't (laughs) Thursday and they're all like oh right the Cosby show like that's so funny and to to, like capture that moment in time in that way and not make it like a huge joke you know like it's just like a little (laughs) blip in this scene just so smart it's actually kind of like even one of the weakest blips in this scene which is really a testament to how funny it is also like like oh so what happened she killed her rough neighborhood like and he just blows by i mean a lot of credit is due to the actor who plays mr pfeiffer because his like his choice to play this guy he has like the perfect amount of creep for a funeral home director Mm -hmm. and also like obviously as we see later like one that like really can't keep anything straight (laughs) they got people going in the wrong rooms they hiring high school students and getting cremations it's just all over the place (laughs) celia rubenstein Okay, so that that scene. Okay, first of all, the woman who is giving this speech is amazing, and I think she's a great actress. Like she, she really makes you believe that like there was this hidden. It's such a perfect bait and switch, right? That there was this <laughs> hidden like <laughs> secret about Priya Claxton, but actually, no. Like each time you're set up and you fail, thinking that this woman had like this streak of goodness. Um, even in the scene where like Sophia is sitting, you know, going such a tragedy. You're just like, oh my God, she's getting so, you know, like choked up about this. And she's just listening to the baseball game. Um, <laughs> it really reminds me too, is um, I mentioned this before, but I, you know, I've, I've watched um, the golden girls with my grandmother sometimes. And my great aunt uh, also lived with her. And, you know, it was, it was a whole like sort of childhood little second home thing that I had and my great aunt for many many years after was just so stubborn like many of my family members and refused to get a hearing aid even though she was completely (laughs) deaf but she (laughs) I guess being like super cheap or I guess as a sort of weirdo compromise to herself she got this like probably no more than like six dollars and 99 cents like dollar ish (laughs) kind of like dollar store ish but a little bit more expensive kind of like box receiver with earbuds so I guess it was supposed to like take in whatever was happening around you and then just amplify it in your ears but it looked like a Walkman right like it was this giant piece that stood outside with these crappy earbuds that are just like you know exactly what I'm talking about just like Mm -hmm. this broken thing um so when we used to have family reunions, she would just like park herself on the couch and like just be sitting there with this box thing, you know, in the middle of her trying <laughs> to listen to what everybody else was saying to her. But I had friends, um, you know, that came to my family reunions. It really started early on being like, hey, there's free food at my house. My mom says you can come to this party. Um, but my friends would come in and just like never talk to her because they just assumed she was just sitting there listening to the Yankees game. <laughs> 
oh my god no like this she's not listening to like a walkman or fm radio or something like that she's not actually listening to baseball she's just waiting for somebody to talk to her in the little squawk box like you're ordering <laughs> drive through um anyway <laughs> just really reminded me of that <laughs> just this little like you know cord running up your sleeve type of thing um in a social situation <laughs> tell oh. her what the doctor tell said. her what the do- oh man can't wait it's so <laughs> yeah, long it's so one. long off but that was magical um yeah so she's listening to the baseball game and it also the woman who's um eulogizing Celia Rubenstein when she finds out that it's Rita Claxton she kicks the casket which is I know. <laughs> amazing like what an addition to the you know just like furthers this the um the belief that we already have that Frida was awful like nobody liked her (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly her her reputation you know went far beyond Richmond Street clearly yeah (laughs) um and also okay so you talked about this you mentioned this but the mix-up that's a pretty big mix-up my guy Mr. Pfeiffer like we gotta (laughs) (laughs) seriously I guess they went to the cheapest funeral home obviously but seriously (laughs) it's a little much (laughs) not for Superman right and it's (laughs) But, like, obviously, you know, I mean, this is Miami, right? Death is a theme. And I think that this is kind of an interesting thing, too. Like, to your point about the woman who comes in talking about Celia Rubenstein, like, already knows about Claxton. And, like, it's just, <laughs> yeah, but Pfeiffer's got to get his shit together because he's got a lot of business. Yeah, yeah. So the, they never should have hired a high school student. I feel like that's really true. Um, <laughs> exactly. So then it's really interesting because it's kind of like, you know, it doesn't convey this message exactly, but every single thing that goes wrong is like, uh, you know, this is what you get for doing good. Like I can just, I can just hear like, you know, somebody being like, you know, that's why you never, you never go too far for somebody. Cause like now they're stuck with these fucking ashes of this woman that they hate. Like, what are you going to do with them? You can't yeah. just, um, but again, like, I feel like it has, you know, the, the theme of Rose being the problem solver or Rose, like sort of taking it into her own hands um, really from beginning to end, like, that's what this episode has. Like, it's, it's yeah. a little bit in the background because there's so many other funny things. But, um, you know, she's ultimately the one who decides to sprinkle the ashes around the tree, which I think is a little bit <laughs> ethically questionable, I would say. Like, <laughs> you know, for all of these things that this, these ladies did to preserve Rita Claxton's legacy, like, they put her ashes in the one place that she obviously despised. <laughs> She went to court to talk about how she despised it. I know what's really funny where it's like Rose is saying like, you know, and now her life has meaning and all this stuff. And it's like legacy to your point. It's it's actually not what she wanted. It's like, it's like the closest you could get to like someone's actual like last wishes or a will or something of like, hey, when I die, do this. It's like you could make a pretty big guess of like literally she died defending the fact that she wanted this tree out of there. Concrete's cleaner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, yeah, they should have just sprinkled in a new, you know, like a new construction site. Now there's an idea. But yeah, it is funny. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is like, the, they're looking for this closure, but it's really about their own personal closure, right? Like you can pretend it. I, I mean, it's, it's a gray area, of course, because you are mixed up in like good, you know, human ethical, like, you know, sort of this moral mumbo jumbo about like what happens when you die and like how should people honor you and how should people who are still living process it. Um, but it's really funny because it's like there's, you know, I <laughs> I was a philosophy minor in college um, <laughs> and not a major because, you know, there are so many irritating people <laughs> in, in these classes. I couldn't take it any longer. But 
it's interesting when you talk about like moral and ethical philosophy, it's like, there's, there's a whole school of thought that there is like not actually any selfless act, because even if you are doing something nice for someone else, like you get that good feeling or you get this like belief if it's tied to religion that you're like doing something good for karma, you know? So it's really interesting. And it's just like this whole idea of like Rose saves the day and actually does this whole like, like kind of brilliant idea politically to save the tree, which is just reminds me of like this shady play, uh, shady pines, hot plate discovery that happens <laughs> later where like sometimes she's just brilliant on these like really wacky you know kind of crazy thoughts um but honestly for her and for like the Frida Claxton summary it's just like yeah that's not what she wanted <laughs> yeah but you're right like I mean that whole little cheaty Atagonia bit that you uh just shared like <laughs> that's totally true and I Hashtag think that... a good place <laughs> another show we love um it's true in funerals. You're right. Like, it depends, I guess, on what you believe happens when you die, things like that. But funerals largely are for the living to yes. find closure. Like, it's not for the person who died. So, so yeah, it makes sense that, like, I don't think Rose uh, ever intends to ha- do these, like, you know, like, super morally complicated things that end up getting her what she wants. But ultimately, <laughs> like, yeah, now her life has some meaning. She's preserving this this hundred year the centuries year old oak tree and um you know she didn't want it but guess what that's where she is like, that's where she like is <laughs> <laughs> and you know and now rose nyland feels uh even better about her third death that she's responsible for yeah small consolation <laughs> <laughs> and scene <laughs> oh my gosh all right well i think that's it huh uh-huh all right. Well, join us next time. We're going to discuss Danny Thomas's sexual preferences and renting porno movies on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody.